I've already introduced him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we pray that as we said in our psalm earlier, that we would trust in you. Even if many of us are distressed this morning, Lord, distractions inside and outside of us, all around us, Lord, would you break into our hearts and minds in the good news of the gospel proclaimed this morning. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness on display in Timothy, and we ask that you would help us to be humble and to hear your gospel this morning and to respond in faith. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. I need to put on my wire. <laughs> Am I doing the right thing? Good. Good morning, church. What a privilege and honor to be with you today. And I want to thank you, Pastor Shepard, Reverend Chris, for giving me the honor to bring us what this morning. I first heard about your church when I was having breakfast with a friend of mine in Raleigh, Bishop Bredloff. And then I went to Rannoch. I met Bishop Quicks, and he said, if you are in Berkeley, you need to go to our church. So your reputation has gone ahead of you. So I came last year. And I was very delighted to meet with the church and to spend some minutes with uh, in the service and uh, have a good meal with uh, Sam and his family. I come from Nigeria. And I was glad that my daughters were with me last year. And after that, they made this church their own. So what a joy for me. I work with uh, an organization in Nigeria called both Global Leadership Foundation. My wife of 37 years, who has stood with me for these many years in ministry, is with me here today. And um, she co-lead the work with me. And over the years, we've had the privilege of seeing God work among nations. We've traveled to many countries. We've seen many, many manifestations of God's gracious hand. I don't, okay, you have something on the screen. That might explain the last 12 years of our effort to get God's word to the nations and to bring God's people close to God's heart so that they might live for him, honor him, everything they do. As you will observe on that screen, we've had the privilege of taking God's word to over 40 countries. We've had privilege of engaging other additional 40 country plus. I remember we were in Philippines and we have people from so many countries in Southeast Asia. We were in Japan. We have people from different countries in South Asia. So when we say we've been to 40 countries, we're also aware of multiple countries where people have come in to hear God's word. But one of the greatest joy we have 
is the opportunity God has given us to influence leaders to be more proactive, more engaging with the gospel. And we have seen that as we raise many more workers and disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I will leave that with you, and I have a copies of our newsletter and magazine uh, that you can take a look at. And if you want to know some of my thoughts, you can buy my phone, um, buy online <laughs> my book called Grow in Grace. It's on Amazon. It gives an overview of the need for the church not to live for the now. To be prepared to arm yourself with greater input and impact for generations to come. I think that's enough of introduction. I think that gives you a chance to know my accent and to get used to the way I speak. Now I can speak, can I? <laughs> Good morning, everyone. We are in a very critical moment in the world. The gospel is so needed and the gospel is so hated. The truth is so critical, but the lie is so prevalent. We live in a time when right and wrong very blur. And we are living in a situation where people live for themselves rather than living for God. And you hear people saying things like, it's my life to live. Beg your pardon, it's not your life. It's not your life, you are not, you are not made by yourself. So God owns you by creation, he has a right over you. He owns you by redemption because he saved you from sin. And he owns you by appropriation because he appointed your life in the direction you are going. When our sister was reading the book of Michael, I hope you heard what happened in that story. God raises some concerns, God issues some warning, and God brought some key matters to the forefront for all of us. In the book of Micah read for us this morning, we see prophets who called God liars because they are not living the true calling of God to shepherd God's people. We see how they made mockery of God's purpose by living outside of God's counsel and plan for this nation of Israel. God raised the issue of deceptive, self-styled, self-absorbing pastors, preachers, who live for themselves. And actually, the word used in Micah is that they make money out of God's people. So Micah tells us of God's commitment to replace them, to find an alternative. And it's very scary. You can be alive, and God is replacing you. That's scary. So, Micah ends the story we just went through by saying God is out to do good to Israel. He said, as for me, I will be by the Spirit of God. I will do this, I will do this, and we do that. But it was not only in the days of Micah that God was concerned about falsehood, deception, and lies. Up to today, people have used religion to generate wrong impression about God and about the church. The world is full of falsehood. 
The world is full of deception. Teachers and leaders abound everywhere who are trading truth and offering lies. We see it in religious circle, we see it in academic circle, we see it in the media, we see it in the social life, we see it in the political realm, we see it in the economic environment. Actually, distortion has become the primary product of this generation. Deception has become the branding agent of this generation. Societies who have erased the line between real and imagine between truth and error. Society that have made fiction to be the reality and reality abandoned. In a generation where politically correct statements are welcome and celebrated, the truth of God is under attack. So the psalmist cried out, God, things are not adding up. Things are not adding up. But I'm sticking to you. <laughs> I'm still going to stick out my neck. I'm going to see how you get it done for me. And of course, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, asking them to match their word with their action. But perhaps the most pragmatic scripture we read this morning was that statement in Matthew chapter 23. And if you have your Bible with you, I would like you to open it up. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is not only expressing his disgust, but he raises some concern about how abnormality has become normal. Jesus was very uncomfortable, and he addressed this disconnect between truth and lies, reality of God, and the reality of people. He asked us to reset and to redefine our paradigm in following God every day of our lives. So if you want to give a note to this sermon, you can call it Kingdom Reset Button. Because what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 23 is a serious concern that he observed as he walked through the land of Israel. For instance, Jesus dealt with three things right there with his disciple, and he's dealing with those things with us today. He's looking at why are people like this? Why are they behaving contrary to the purpose for which they are existing? And he looked at what could be wrong. Can we fix this? Then he raised a standard, giving us a new way to pursue God's purpose. So I'm going to ask you, as you have opened to Matthew chapter 23, do you observe in verse 1, Jesus was not talking to a church. He was not talking to the disciples alone. He was talking to both those who love the Lord and those who do not love him. He was talking to the crowd and the disciples, which means that the subject we are dealing with today is not a church subject. It's both a societal crisis to be fixed and religious crisis to be, to be amended. So the Bible says he spoke to the disciples and he spoke to the crowd. In this verse 1, Jesus made it 
obvious that the teaching to fix the error, to stop believing the lie, is not just a religious item. It's needed to be preached in our schools, needed to be preached in our offices, it needed to be preached in the bosses, it needed to be sp spoken about in our law firms, lecture rooms, hospital, wherever you work. To address error is not a church service. It's something that has to be done everywhere we go, wherever life takes us, wherever jobs take us. It might be difficult in America, or it might be difficult in the West, but truth is truth. You know, I had people say, you don't need to impose on people an opinion. You don't need to tell them what to do. And I thought of it. So wait a minute. Most ladies here have been using microwave oven since they were born. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Yet, if you buy a new microwave oven tomorrow, they're going to give you a manual. Yes or no? Answer me, church. They're going to give you a manual. And they give you a manual. They're, going, they're not going to, in the manual, they're going to say, well, Janet has been using microwave since she was in grade two. Therefore, Janet doesn't need any instruction. No. They will give in the manual, if you are cooking, if you are defrosting your chicken so many minutes, if you are doing this, why are they doing that? They don't leave you to your opinion. They want you to do what is right. They want to insist that the manufacturer has a good intention. And he wants all users to follow that intention, not their own ideas. I mean, you may throw away, like somebody said, if you buy a new computer, just throw away the, the, the manual and just work out yourself and survive. I believe that what Jesus is talking about in this few verses of scripture is to help us to come to the original intent of God. To help us to find a balance in a world that's gone out of balance. So in verse 2 and 3 and 4, Jesus showed us who are the false teachers. Arrogant and very proud people. They are religious but very rude. Scornful, disdainful, and oppressive of others. So anytime you act in an oppressive way to anybody else, you fit into the description of this religious leader. You might not wear a cassock like me, but you are a religious leader in that respect. If you look at verse 2, 3, and 4, you look at the following. They are custodian of religious facts, but they have no allegiance to the truth. Look how they talk about Moses. They have, a, they have no allegiance to the truth, but they are custodian. They know the, it's like many of us here now, we're seated here, very pious, very sanctimonious, very holy. But if somebody drives rough and somebody is very mean on, to you on the road, what do you do? You yell. Nah. These people, they are model, but they are modeling inappropriate spiritual reality. The investory. Because they conceal their emptiness by showing off with religious activities. In verse 4, they promote values they are willing to practice. 
and they oppress others to make people believe they are real. Whether you are young or old, whenever you champion a cause, they want others to pursue, but you're not willing to do. You are like these Pharisees. So in verse 5, 6, and 7, we look at what they do, how they practice the deception. They make others miserable through their religiously prominent presence, self-absorbing personality, but they are immodest in their attitude, putting others down to show they are in charge. This, this happens particularly among nations. You have what they call the developing nation, the developed nations. My wife and I have about 800 widows that we work with, including over 360 young boys and girls that we put to school. So as I was praying for Ituno school fees, I'm also praying for those children's school fees. As I spare money to put Ituno to school, I'm also looking for money to make sure those 360 abandoned children are put to school. Sometimes Christmas might be very tough and difficult. But as I'm thinking of Christmas, I'm also thinking of thousands of dollars to put food pack in the hand of 800 families for Christmas. So, how do I strike a balance between what is my personal need and what is kingdom need? Jesus shows us that these people were struggling with striking this balance. So how do they act? They show off to prove their status. We are the boss. We are in charge. They hold excessive allegiance to God's word, but they deny the power they are in. Not only that, they demand attention and respect rather than working hard to earn it from the people. To reset the button, therefore, we must walk away from this negative stereotype. We must walk away from this intimidating lifestyle. We must be gracious in accommodating other people. We must be involved in people who are less privileged and giving them hope and joy in the name of the Lord. I think it's in verse 8, 9, and 10 that Jesus gives us a recommendation that we need to practice. God is offering us a level playing field when we approach our world that is in need. The world is bleeding. I don't know whether you've studied, you've followed the Israeli Hamas crisis. That's just a child's play compared with what we go through every day in Africa. Someone asked me, um, somebody actually visited us and he said, why do you have to pray about everything? I said, because we pray so hard, things are this bad. Imagine we don't pray at all. What would have happened? So in verse 8, 9, and 10, Jesus raises the issue of people who see the need but ignore it. And rather than meeting needs around the world, they turn themselves into mini gods. They become the boss, the Lord. And James had warned us never to let that happen. 
Jesus said, they do not honor the fatherhood of God, but they want to be called father. So what's the difference? You like to be given title, opportunity to speak, big title, big presence, but you ignore God and God's purpose in your life. Jesus said that's not necessary, that's not appropriate. In fact, Jesus said, you shouldn't be instructors. So I shouldn't be teaching here now. <laughs> but Jesus said that you can't be lecturing the whole world without practicing the faith. And I want to say to you, much of Western world has gone around the world to lecture the whole world. It's time for them to practice the faith in the midst of chaos and confusion. Probably it is easy for you if your telephone company is not working well, you can just change your plan, change your phone, no, no whatever. But in Africa, sometimes we pray over your phone that you get signal, you, run, you do like this. Lord, give me signal, I need to call Hannah now to let her know I'm safe. And sometimes, you're going to the petrol station, gas station. You are praying there will be gas to buy. Such things are inconceivable here. So when you see people living out the distinctive of their faith in the most difficult environment around the world, honor them, celebrate them. But more importantly, live out the distinctive of your own faith in the midst of the challenge and chaos that may be happening around here. So finally, in verse 11 and 12, Jesus gave us the recommendation for reset. It appears that Jesus is not averse to human quest for greatness. It looks as if Jesus is not hungry that we are looking for prominence or significance. But here, Jesus seems to be saying, don't chase this thing for yourself. Think of a new kingdom paradigm. Jesus seemed to be demanding a new mindset for people that follow his calling. So in verse 11, and I read it again. The greatest among you shall be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Two words stand out in this recommendation. Number one, service. Whatever you are taking away from me today, serve more. Find a way to serve. Serve, the, serve people will not thank you. Serve people will not celebrate you. Serve people who will not give you applause. Serve. Just make yourself available. There are, I, 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 I remember when I was in England one year. I think Anna was with me. We went to Southeast England, and I went to a mission organization. I was surprised. I said, watch doctors, nurses, engineers, uh, homemakers, we call them housewives in Nigeria, <laughs> homemakers. People come to the mission station to help put stamp on the envelope, mail letters. The mission they are serving, they didn't even know they exist. But they serve to get the word of God around the world. I believe a time will come when God will be giving some of you seated here today opportunity to serve people you may never meet until you get to heaven. Serve them. God may be giving you opportunity to provide logistics, strength 
grace to people you will never meet anywhere around here in the world. Serve them. The second reset button Jesus introduces in that verse 12 is humility. So service and humility. Humility, a mindset that puts others and God above self. A mindset that enables you to see the big picture of what God is doing outside of what you are able to do for yourself. In fact, the way Jesus put it in Mark gospel was there was a trouble between the disciples. They were indignant that James and John were asking for a place of honor because they also loved the place. They also wanted a place. So Jesus said, you have to observe. Kings, people of this world, they lord it over each other, but it's not going to be like you with you. Instead, if you want to be great, serve. So Jesus is not saying, don't be great. But if you want to be great, serve. Provide service. Help others. Make things happen to people who cannot make it happen for themselves. Change the storyline of people who are hurting. In the neighborhood and around the world. Let me bring this to a close. People who mess up with God's plan and purpose are usually religious people. Their leaders and followers who are actually religious but with little spiritual substance. If you're going to travel the path from this scripture's journey, then we need to be less religious and more spiritual. The world gospel need is critical. There are 80, sorry, 8 billion people in the world. That sounds like a very huge number, and it's huge. But what should trouble us is 40% of the people in the world have no adequate access to the gospel. 40%. 3.2 billion people. No adequate access to the gospel. How do, I, how do I explain that to you? Let me use three, three things to explain that because I'm wrapping up. It means they have no Christian in their world. They live every day 24-7 without immediate access to any Christian that can give them hope or joy. It means they have no church in their culture. There may be a church in their town like international church attended by Americans in, in Kuwait, but Kuwaitis are not in the church. It may be like the church that Nigerians are pastoring in Malaysia, full of Nigerian Christians who are doing business, but Malays are not yet in the church. So there's no church in their culture. There may be a church in their town or city. The third way to know accessibility is that these are people who have no scripture, in their language, which means they just knew God was speaking. They've heard that God has been speaking, but God has not spoken to them. With this kind of need, it's time for us to reset our button. Our religious opportunity, our great moment of breakthrough here in our churches should provide us what I call the global mindset, globally aware and locally involved. And finally, 
God is interested in spiritual fruits, not religious knots. Let's find out how to bear more fruit in our neighborhood. Let's find out how we can be, bring life to the deadness that we see around. How to introduce hope to the hopelessness. How we can make life more delightful and enjoyable to people who have given up on God and on the scripture. Because if you truly love God, one way to measure it is your level of obedience and submission to his word. As a little Anglican boy, we used to sing, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly as the Lord command, doing it happily, the best way to show you believe God is to obey his word and do his will and serve humanity. Let us pray. The world is hurting, Lord. People are in pain. And the people who are assigned the responsibility to help the world to discover you are busy playing religion. Lord, free us from this mentality. Help us, Lord, to have correct mental attitude to the kingdom activities. Help us, Lord, to live in a way worthy of the gospel and to make others fall in love with you afresh. That in the midst of pain and disgust and confusion, they will seek the risen Lord and follow him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.